and welcome into the Facts Not Feelings podcast, powered by BZ Consultants Group, with your host, Brooke Furness. Each week, I sit down with experts in the respected fields as we discuss how we can move this wonderful automotive industry forward by differentiating facts from feelings. Our conversation explore how my guests got to where they are today and how they achieve success. All right, let's jump in. Hello, everybody, and welcome back into another awesome, power-packed episode of Facts Not Feelings. I am your host, Brooke Furness, and I am guiding you through another incredible world of the automotive industry in another awesome episode of Facts Not Feelings. And right now, our vehicle market is, it's a little bit on the rebound. We've got the in all of our awesome cars and the shiny cars rolling back into the market and into and onto our lots and the customer interest. It's we're kind of having to rekindle that right now. But here lies the challenge it, for our dealerships. After a prolonged period of, of high prices and low supplies, and honestly, a lot of uncertainty, and most importantly, we need to rebuild that trust. So today, we are focusing on winning strategies and sales to regain and, regain and lost trust. And I could not have a better guide with me today to guide us through this journey. So today I have Bob Gower, the Chief Operating Officer of Traver Connect, sharing his invaluable insight on how car dealerships can win back their customers' hearts. So Bob, with that, we are just gonna dive straight in this and start with the very first question right out of the gates. Can you give us some insights into how the scarcity of cars over the past few years have impacted consumer trust in dealerships. Yeah, so Brooke, just so you know, thanks for having me on the show. I've heard a lot of great things about your show. Okay. Um, I, I think that the key is we have to remember that, you know, most things that happen in business are cyclical. They repeat themselves. So, you know, back in the 1980s, uh, we did have restrictions on imports. So there were no Toyotas. There were no Hondas. You couldn't buy one off the lot. You know, um, we took everything off allocation. So what that caused us to do is raise pricing. We were overwind the sticker. We didn't negotiate well. The customers felt like we took advantage of them, right? And if you talk to anybody that was in that business at that point in time, it affected sales when cars came back. You know, when the restrictions were lifted, customers had more choices. Um, they didn't forget that, just so you know. So, you know, we're kind of, so it's, while this is new for a lot of people in the business, it's not new for our dealers because they've been around that long, right? And longer. So they've seen it all. So the question is, what do we need to do differently than we did last time this happened? Um, and we're always going to fight this dilemma at some point in history in the future, be it EV cars or whatever, right? So when you look at this, um, I think it's simply how we treat the customer because we know we can't control supply and demand. Pricing is going to be dictated by supply and demand. We're going to pay more right now for a car than we would have before. Um, but I need to feel good about that purchase. I need to feel good about your commitment. And I need to feel good that I made the right decision with your store and your brand. So those are the real questions I think we need to answer today. And just to give you a couple, I'll give you a couple nuggets. So we do sales BDC as well as service BDC. So when you start with a lead today, almost three quarters of our leads come in from a web-based form. Why, why are they not calling? Why do they send us leads? There's a lot of myths out there. The fact is this. I can actually shop for seven Silverado trucks today in about two minutes on my phone 
shop seven dealers in my zip code through autotrader.com. Now I'm done. And I just wait. What the problem is, I'm waiting too long. Nobody's calling me right away. Nobody's connecting quick enough. And there's a myth that the dealers think that if they wanted to call us, they would have. And that's not true. It's easier for me to shop that way. It's more convenient for me as a customer. We have to remember that. Um, so what we're seeing is the dealers that can get back to those customers with a live conversation uh, within a minute. Now, that's asking a lot. But if you do that, you'll talk to half of those customers to set you leads. If you wait six minutes, you only can with 12% of those customers that sent you a lead. They think on their end, you don't what? You don't care. You're not responsive enough. You're not in touch with how they want to do business. So the first, very first myth is our data shows they do want to talk to you. If you call them back within a minute, half of them will talk to you. Those are pretty good odds, right? So if you look at that and you go like, okay, so where are my processes? Where are my technology? And where are my people? Can they get there? Then the second piece of that, just to set it up right, is I may not have a car to sell you. I didn't have a car to sell you in the 80s, but I could stop you and start the process of getting you a car. So today, personally, I'm looking for an F-350. I probably won't get any dealers to call me because they were not going to react to this quickly enough. But I'm just saying, I'm looking for an F-350 today. And to get the grade level that I want, it has to be ordered. It's going to take eight to 12 months to get here. And I'm, I've been looking for a year and a half, but nobody has stopped me and said, Bob, there's a process. Let's order the truck for you. And you know what the best news is? If you don't want it when it gets here, we'll sell it to 50 other customers that are waiting for that same truck. But you know what's really interesting, Brooke, is as a consumer, nobody has stopped me shopping by just saying, let's start the process. So today it's not about taking that lead and converting it into a sale. It's taking that lead and converting it into what's the next steps so I can help you get what you want. And I love that you brought up the F-350. That's so often that we forget the consumer journey processes that, oddly enough, I, I was speaking with a, a gal yesterday and we were talking just about, although when you submit a third-party lead, that the, the consumer doesn't realize a lot of time that they they might be on let's say a Nissan, but for some reason the lead goes to a Ford dealership and then they're just pissed off. They're like, wait, wait, I didn't submit a lead. And so slowing down to answer that, and then you brought up the Ford portion of it. I remember working with a lot of Ford's dealerships. And if you go and actually look at the trims of all the Ford F-150s, 250, 350, you don't have those on your dealership lot. Like you just don't, like they don't, you they, don't exist. Make that. they don't exist. And so to try to like slow down and think, okay, wait, they, they built this. It's not there. How are we then going to interact with the customer versus just, oh, it's a bad lead. We don't have it. No. How about you actually slow down for two seconds, personalize that response back to the consumer and say, hey, you're looking for this 350. Instead of automatically saying, eh, sorry, you're SOL. We don't have it. Hey, let me show you how we can build that. Here's the timeline of when it's going to be available. That may cost a little bit more, but I'm going to get you exactly what you want. Oh, but okay, you want this color? Well, we actually have this one in stock. Would that be okay with you? Oh, I can get it right now. Yeah, you can. Here's what. So, but actually looking and looking and I call it like a lead detective, but inspecting what they're actually sending to you to understand what it is. And once again, going back to that, we said in the very beginning here is building that trust and regaining that regaining that trust to the consumer. So, I love that you brought up the, the F1, the 350. That's like that is that is the key. I, I mean, you go to some of these other brands, and they may only have three trims and Ford on the other hand has gets a zillion different trims and just slowing it down. So 
the, the next thing I want to ask you is how do you think high pricing vehicles affects the con- customer's perception of the car industry? Well, you got to remember, it's not unlike the housing industry. So I don't know why we can't connect this quickly. If I want to buy a house in the last four <laughs> years, I got to pay over market price. Yep. And I'm in a bidding war with three or four other people, right? So why am I surprised? You know, interest rates go up, the demand goes down. So now I can I have my choices, but there's not a lot of houses for sale because the interest because they need to move and the interest rates are too high. So this is not new for us. So what we ought to do is we just got to go like, listen, I'll, I'm going to pay. I like to get a good deal, trust me, but I'll pay sticker for an F-350 because I need an F-350. Mm-hmm. Now, what's interesting is um, I have a third party buyer who reached out to me and said, Bob, I can order you a 350. So I'm going outside of the dealer network to do this now. Now, we work with a lot of Ford stores and all of them promised me that come on in and we'll order you a truck, but none of them have followed through. So I have a third party, just happened to know them, called me and said, are you looking for a new truck? I asked 350, we'll order it for you. I said, okay. Uh, by the way, we got a 250 that's coming in and that was a sold order that they're going to opt in and take. Can it, what, what if I just get you into the 250? It's, it's fully loaded platinum, diesel, everything you want. And I said, it doesn't give me the flexibility. So why don't we do this? Now, I have two or three other trucks I need to replace. So there's where if you communicate with me, there may be a need for me to replace one of those with that. But it doesn't solve my primary problem today with what I'm looking for, right? I said, hey, listen, I'm I'm willing to let's go eight months, 12 months, whatever it takes. If I need something sooner because I have to replace one of these, um, then let's look at a GMC truck or let's look at a Dodge truck. You know, I'm sold out on what I'd like to have, but it doesn't mean if I can't get it, I'm stuck, right? So that's where there's flexibility. You know, when you look at a house, you never end up unless you build your own with the exact same house you want. So there's compromise, but the compromise is, does it feel like home or not? Will this truck do what I need it to do? You just see where I'm going? So say my name when I get in, it's like, ah. So you know, when I submit a lead on autotrader.com, because we do a lot of market mystery shops for our stores, you know, I will have, if I submit a Chevrolet lead, I'll have the Audi store reach out to me faster than the Chevrolet stores in the market at the Dodge store to tell me they have that Silverado truck. And I'm like, so we've got non-brand reaching out quicker and communicating faster and they're more efficient than Chevrolet stores are in my market. And I'm like, that's what I'm saying is you really got to take a look at what you're doing. This isn't hard. You know, I, I, there's three C's that I live by. First of all, there's a knowing or doing problem. You know, are we not doing this because we just don't know? In most cases, there's a lot of myths out there and we need to be educated, right? But once what I know, then there's three C's that I have to follow. One's clarity, second one's communication, and the third one's commitment. You know, that's it. And it's the same thing with the customer. If I can work with you and get clarity on exactly what you're looking for, if it's truck or house, and I can get, communicate with you properly so I know what will and will not work with you and stay in touch with you. And then the last piece is get a commitment from you to do one of them, whatever that one is, then we're going to have a good relationship. But I'm always going to come back to you because those three C's build trust, right? Yeah. And I and it's true. Like when when pricing was, I'll say, at the all-time high, and I think too often it was we think that profit is a dirty word. And profit is not a dirty word. 
It's how you go about presenting it because everything was up. And I go, okay, all right, how are you explaining this to your consumer? Because I can know that I went in for my very, but the first time I went to go get my Manny Petty during, you know, during the whole COVID era. And I knew as a consumer, I was going to pay more. Like I just knew that because bacon was up. You know, you know, if you wanted to go, anyone's buying a PlayStation, my Air Jordans went up. Like I knew I was going to pay more. But the difference was with when I went in to get my Manny Petty, it was a place I went to all the time. The minute I walked in, they go, hey, you know, Brooke, just let you know our prices have increased. Here, our products are harder to get, product, right? But they go, here, here changed our process. Here with the, our, our spa pedicure, we've added this little razzle-dazzle. Like, the thing costs like 50 cents. Did that, 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 that mean that it cost them $20 more? No, but they took the time to explain. So when I go to my clients, I go, okay, so what are you doing differently to justify that you're paying more? Or to show the consumer that, hey, you know, products are just, the materials are so much harder to get right now. We can't get them in. Hey, this is what we're doing. Versus just, we can, we're doing it because we can. We're just going to stick it to you because we can. So are you explaining the process? Because if you say, hey, Mr. Risk customer, you know, did you go get eggs today? Did you go get bacon today? How much did it cost you? Did you realize that it cost you double the price? Milk right now is higher than ever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is actually. Everything just costs more right now. So when you when you can lay it out for the, the consumer and they understand that, they're more willing to understand versus they just think it's because we're trusted as much as a politician, just understanding that a little bit more, which then leads me back into this next question of in terms of winning back customers, what role does transparency play in setting prices and then dealing with customers? Well, I think... I think transparency is the key. It's always the key. Because if not, you have a hidden agenda. And people know that right away. Are you being transparent or not? So I think you just have to, you know, um, you may be the first one that they talk to, which they need to make sure, do their homework a little bit. You got to be able to let them do that. You got to say, hey, Brooke, you know, I know you're beginning the process. You know, um, I encourage you to go look around and make sure you're comfortable. You know, gain the education you need. Come on back. I'm here for you. But what I would like to do with you is start the process with you. You know, if you feel comfortable doing that today, great. If you don't, let me know when you're going to finish your shopping. I'll call you back. We'll walk through some questions that you probably have uncovered that I haven't been able to answer today. Let me help you. Help yourself get this done, right? To me, that's transparent. What we find is that most internet departments today, when they get that lead, cherry pick the lead, they're like, well, I don't have that. So let's just ignore that customer. And I'm like, I don't know of any retail business you can ignore your customers, you know. And I also believe there's a, a saying that's a, it's called the zero moment of truth. Mm-hmm. I only have one shot, Brooke, to make an impression with you. I only have one shot to sell you a car, no matter what we think, to service your car. And so we've got to be right on. We've got to be knowledgeable. We have to be transparent. We have to have good communication skills. Um, we have to be on our game with every customer today. Because they're not going to come back two or three weeks later and give us a second shot because somebody's going to take them out of the market. Our OEMs will tell us that the average customer only shops 1.4, 1.5, 1.7 dealerships before they buy a car. Today, they're not even coming in. So, you know, take a look at those metrics. It used to be they shopped four or five dealers. They're doing that, but they're doing it in minutes, not days. And they're not giving you another opportunity if you blow the first one. So I think the first part of it is that piece. But then I've... I look at the second piece of this. We've already sold a lot of cars. Yeah. And we service those cars. Yet only a third of those customers stay with us over a 10-year period in service. 
And I'm like, those are natural customers that you should be doing business with. I don't know of a realtor in my lifetime that can sell you one house. <laughs> and this idea. Right. Repeat referral business, as Tully Williams says, yeah. You know, what's really interesting is I find my best re- realtors by, when I buy a house, it may be the competitor realtor that was better than my realtor that I end up going back to to sell the house when I go to sell it, right? Yeah. So I'm like, we're always looking for that relationship. So when I look at the fixed op side of this, it, tie, it ties right back in. You know, um, I think the average in the industry today is about 80%, 85% of the customer service for the first two years. You're pretty much out of warranty. Then it drops over a 96-month period. It's going to be in the 30 40% range. Now, most OEMs would like to have you at 60. What if you were at 80? I mean, think about all the business. You couldn't even count it all because it's a recurring business every year, right? So I look at that and go like, what are we doing for our customers? Because today, even if I have telematics in my car, it's telling me the oil needs changed. Those customers close. Here's what's so cool about transparency and how it impacts a sale. Even if it's as simple as an oil change. If the car tells me I'm at 10% oil life, I'll go get the oil changed. Yeah. The close rate on those repair orders for us to take that consumer, reach out to them, set the appointment is 30%. It's three to four to five times more than if I just called you and your car didn't tell you that the oil need changed, right? So how valuable is the word transparency? And to me, it's invaluable. Now, the second part is we just assume because the car told you, you're coming back to me to get your oil changed. Mm-hmm. Well, what that means is you've got to drive 35 minutes to get to me. And between me and you is about three quick lube places. So all I did was make you a shopper. I think the OEMs think they captured you. In my world, I'm more of a retail guy. I'm like, all I did is I created a shopper. Mm-hmm. That's like me telling you tomorrow your lease is up on your car. And you go, oh, my God, I got to go buy a car. It doesn't mean you're going to come back to me, right? Because I, I haven't done anything yet to earn you to come back. So I'm like, okay, so how do I really get you back today? And today, the OEMs are pushing really hard for pickup and delivery and mobile services. Yep. The dealers are struggling. Almost everyone I know is struggling with that process because it they have a hard time answering their service calls. We handle a lot of their service calls because they don't have the people. Mm-hmm. So then when it comes to something more complex, like I got to go get your car, drop off a car, pick up the car, get it back to you today, and communicate you with your status update all day, this is complex. This is not easy first. The more complex it is, the less likely they're going to do it every day. Yeah, so break. We'll get it started. Three months from now, we quit doing it. Why'd you guys quit doing it? It's too hard, right? So today, we're even offering stores to go pick up those vehicles and drop them off and offer concierge service where they don't have to touch anything but the car that we just delivered to the lane, get it done, get it back to us like they're supposed to. That's what they do. They're not in the logistics business. So they really rely, they need to rely on other entities to go do what they don't do every day well, right? Some of it's as simple as making it, taking an inbound call. Some of it's as, sim- as complex as pickup and delivery. Some of it's as simple as making an outbound call. Some of it's as simple as if they can't get the lead in a minute, flipping it over to our BDC, we'll catch it in 16 seconds. We'll talk to five times more people. So are there any other... I'll say any other key retention strategies that dealerships should be using or that you've seen that you're using to rebuild trust with their customers? 
Well, I think that's the first piece. I think the first piece is there's a lot of inactives in the marketplace. They made a choice to do business somewhere else. Yeah. But I think there's two pieces there. One is you got to figure a way after they get in. First, you got to get them into the store. I didn't tell you 100% service. I said 85%. So 15% chose not even to come back for the first oil change, even if it's free, right? So where's the bridge? How did you build the relationship? Why are they want to come back to you? There's a piece missing. To me, that's processing communication. Yeah. And the second piece is, if you're one of those 85 percenters that keep coming back, I'm going to make it easier for you to come back based on what you need me to do, right? Um, I, I'll tell you an interesting story. I did a podcast last week, and the person doing the podcast said, I just had my car needs to have some service done. I declined the work last time I was there. And I'm like, really? And I've texted him, and I've emailed him. I've called him, and nobody's called me back to get the decline work done. And I'm like, that just goes to show you where we're at today, right? Now, any dealer would say, give that to me. I'll take that customer. The reality is there, the majority of them struggle with this. Yep. And I'm yep. like, okay, so you just got to go stop doing what you're doing every once in a while. Get on your business. Take a look at what's really important. You know, I said, you know, if I, I used to run a Toyota store, if you were my customer, I'd come get the car. Yeah. The OEMs are supporting that. They're paying for some pickup and delivery, some of them, depending on who it is. But at the end of the day, I need to put you back in the cycle because when you're in my service department, I have more control as a dealer. You trust me enough with your car. I should be able to trade you out of that car because I need more inventory today than ever before. I don't want to buy that inventory from people I don't know. I can buy it from you. You're happy to sell me that inventory, just like trading houses. I trade houses every five years. Why? Because it makes sense. It's the peak of getting the most profit out of it. And it's fun because I get to go pick a new house every five years. And why would you want to go? It's five to 10 times more expensive to obtain a new customer when you already have the customer base there, when you can just continue to, they're more likely to want to buy from you again, statistically speaking. They're more likely if you're going to give them an offer to do some type of, whether it's re, you know loyalty or anything like that, they're more like they're more receptive to it than a new customer. There's so many stats. I've done more shows on you know loyalty and what have you. That to work that service lane. If you are, if you just say we're going to sell a car and then like oh we're not going to talk to you for six months or you know five thousand miles or ten whatever whatever the OEM mandates, why would that customer ever come back to you just because they bought a warranty from you? I can I can tell you that personally I keep my warranty with me in my glove box at all times because I know when I go into the service lane, the first question I get asked is, I'm sorry, what'd you buy? Uh, what'd you, what would you buy? You sold I'm it. sorry, I bought it from you. <laughs> you you tell me. You, <laughs> and then like you said, like I, I personally have got to get my oil changed. And the, and the, the issue with this OEM, and I, I love my vehicle, is that when I bought it, I was told X. I was told I go. I specifically go. I only I only service my car at the at the store. I'm just that's the way I work. Sure. And I go. Do too. I need to buy an extended warranty? They're like, Oh no, the OEM takes care of it. Don't worry about it. I go. I, just so we're all clear. Do I need to buy an extended warranty? Nope. You don't need to. So I go to get my first oil change. No issues. Second oil change. Oh, it's going to be eighty bucks. What was that? And then it, and then because I live in Chicago. I was told, oh, well, actually, OEM doesn't cover X, Y, and Z because you live in Chicago. I go, well, tell me anywhere on the OEM page where it says that my, my oil and change are not covered on the warranty. Tell me anywhere. So then you've got, you've got dealers that just take things at liberty to say that, well, sometimes we're going to honor it. Sometimes we're not. And it's like, 
where I, I'm going to use Stephen Apicell's words right now, but connecting that disconnect of like, so you're trying to to bring back loyalty. You're trying to do this, and and it's not the place where I bought. It, it's not where I'm servicing it because it's it's about an hour away from me. But it's like where where is this? Where are we not connecting this? Because it's now all over the map. Of sometimes we're going to honor it, sometimes we're not. There's this little fine print somewhere that nobody can find. But you're just gonna you're gonna really die on that hill, aren't you? Okay. So now it's like I got to serve my current. I'm like, but in the world of 2023. Uh, it's not every 3,000 miles. Like cars aren't built for that. You shouldn't service them every 3,000 miles. So I d- it's interesting you bring that up here. And I, I, I'm going to go on to this next question just because if we're talking about this, you know, trust and rebuilding a rapport and, you know, what advices do you have for a uh, dealership employees to rebuild trust and establish a strong rapport with those returning customers? So just a couple of things. Here's what we see. Pre-COVID versus post-COVID. Because COVID actually was like, I, I say, when you put a BDC in a store, it's like a spotlight. It shouldn't be a laser. It should be a spotlight. It just shows you areas that you, you have gaps, right? So for example, when we take inbound service calls for a dealership to schedule appointments, um, pre-COVID, 80, 90% of the calls the dealer would send us would be customers who said, I'd like to get my car service. Can I set, schedule an appointment? Post-COVID, it drops to about 70%. 30% of the calls we get today Used to be 10, it's now three times that. It's about, I need to talk to somebody live because my car's already there. I want to know where it's at. How far along are you, right? So I go, so fundamentally, if I have to do that as a customer, you already have lost me because now that's not service anymore because now I have to do something on my end. So, you know, there, you know how many tools are out there to text you to tell you where your car's at in the process? Uh, too many. <laughs> They're going out from under a rock at this point. And, you know, I can already tell when I take inbound calls that you don't have a very good status update program in your store. And I'm like, but you'd rather pay me to take those calls than figure out how to fix it. And because I'm a safety net, I, I kind of get it, but it doesn't solve the problem that Brooke did not get an update at 11 o'clock today about where her car's at. So here's what you do, Brooke. You call. Let's say you it's a, a a dealership that uses us. If you call in, you can't get them. That's one call. You call back, you press schedule service, you press any button possible. So you press, let's schedule a service appointment. You know the answer to that. I get that call and you go, where's the status of my vehicle? And I go, I don't know. I'll let me send you back to the service lane. If I send you back to the service lane, guess where you're coming? Back, back to, to you. <laughs> so we don't do that. We go like, Mr. Taylor, when we send these calls back to you, you've got to have a place for them to go, which is usually in the lane or something, or we'll send you an alert to call Brooke back. But just think about it. So the first problem is you had too many calls to handle yourself. Yep. Okay. So let's say it's a thousand a month. By the fact Brooke called us three times today to find out where her car was. Now it's 3,000 calls a month. You see where I'm going? Oh, it's not. You've complicated situation. You've created a, the problem itself, which is you can't catch the right calls today. By not catching them, they're doubling and tripling the amount of calls you're getting, which now makes it almost impossible to catch those customers. So I'm like, okay, so the very first place to start with is knowing your data. What is actually happening, right? So I always send the list back to the dealer and say, here's all your customers who called today, which was 30% of them, could be 40% that said they were looking for a status update. 
but and, it already are status updates. And you would think that the next step is let's fix that oh. so that, first of all, Brooke really doesn't want to talk to anybody but the service writer, right? So there's fundamental pro problems there, you know, in my lifetime. I've worked for ADP, CDK, worked for Traver Technologies. I've run ASC Automotive Service Consultants for 10 years, Mike Nichols Group for Parts for 10 years, plus Traver for 10 years consulting. So a total of about 60, 75 consultants. And the first rule of thumb in the service lane is when you check in is to give you an idea of when I'm going to call you back. Yep. The idea behind that is to beat that number so I get back to you before I told you so I can beat your expectation. That communication is critical because the next time I call you, it's about what's wrong with the car or nothing is wrong with the car. We're done with it. You know, let's schedule a pickup. But if you call me, then I'm already trying to get the car through the shop. So if I found extra work, not that we want to charge you for, but needs to be done, I'm reluctant to talk to you about it because you're already wondering where your car's at. You see what I'm saying? It creates its own nightmare, which uh, hurts our revenue stream. And I don't have to oversell you in a dealership. NADA said before COVID, 56% of all the cars that went through the service lane were underserviced. So you don't have to worry about me selling you stuff you don't need. You have yeah. to worry about me not telling you about stuff you needed because I didn't have time to get it done. Oh, it's nuts how underserviced. I mean, the, amount of, the number of dealerships I talked to and I go, are you tracking tire sales? Eh, well, we, you know, not really. I'm like, then you shouldn't be in business. Or did you, you're not upselling or I'll look, I will look at the, we'll look to see uh, how, how many times they did upsell to your point. And it's like, oh yeah, we forgot to do this and this. I'm like, I'm not, that is honest. And not only you're losing money, you're really, you're putting the, the consumer at risk. Like the worst thing I'm going to say is no, but if you're, it lets God forbid they get in a wreck and something happens and they needed that part. Now you're in trouble, <laughs> but you're, you're, you're a hundred percent right, Bob, a hundred percent. But where you start making choices is, you know, I get my truck serviced all the time at a Ford store. I don't always use the same Ford store. It depends on the service I'm getting. Mm -hmm. My wife does a lot of service for us. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's where she's most comfortable going. You know, it doesn't take much to lose her as a customer. And we'll go try another Ford store. So, you know, at the end of the day, what I look at is, you know, I get my truck serviced. I bring it home. Two weeks later, I go to start it and it's dead. And I'm like, okay, let me pull out the multi-point inspection. Let me see where the battery level was. Nobody's has ever gone. I've been doing this for a while, as you can tell. Nobody's ever gone over a multi-point inspection with me ever, ever in my lifetime. They staple it to the back of my repair order yep. and let me go. So if I have a problem, I hear a brake squeal. I go pull it out of the glove box to see if what it looked like when they had it last, right? But when you get a dead battery, you're like, I know that battery just didn't die by itself. It was probably weak whenever they did the oil change. But, you know, my average oil change is about $1,200 because I have a diesel truck with miles on it. So that it's never cheaper than $1,200, maybe $700 if I'm lucky. I, it doesn't matter to me. I need it when I need it. You know, we use it for other purposes than just transportation. We use it for towing. I'm like, I just want it to be dependable, right? So you're right. If I look, you know, I'll look and the tires need to be be replaced. So where do I take it? Well, my most convenient guy is right down the street. He's not an OEM dealer. Why didn't I do it at the Ford store? I'd rather do it there, but they didn't catch it. So now I've got to find a way to get it done. So to me, it goes back to basic business. You know, we go back 
and continue to do business where we're comfortable doing business and where we feel as though they took care of us. And it's not about money. I don't think it's, it's price has always been like number five from a consumer's point of view. It's always about, do I feel comfortable? Am I confident that you took care of me? Right. The rest of Yeah. Money's a so far down the list. It's do, one, do I trust the person? Do they make it seamless? I mean, I know, like, let's just take, we'll go back to the tire example. I can go now. I want to be very clear. I'm not buying my tires from Tire Rack. I'm using this as an example. So the dealerships don't come after me right now. What I'm saying is I can go to Tire Rack and quickly see everything I want to know about the tire and get every all the information I want to see versus I go to a dealership and how difficult it is to try to get that information. Same thing. If I go to just about any independent shop and I can see all the information get everything I need to get, but try to do that on a website from a fixed ops percent is very, very difficult. So when we do all these things, like we're trying to compete with the firestones of the world or any of the other things, and this is turned into a fixed op portion, I get that, but I'm just trying to bring this in to say, okay, let's go back to Amazon. Amazon is not the cheapest by it, most of the time. It's not the cheapest. It's that convenience. And we know that the service is there and they're always going to be there. And so to your point, it's, it's not always about the money. It's, do, do I know that I can trust them? Do I know that the service is going to be there and that they're they're always going to fulfill on their promise? And when they don't fulfill, that they're still going to take care of me. Yeah, we all look for one. I think it comes down to a common denominator and it's two things. It's convenience and it's yeah. trust. Because if you're easy to do business with, but it's a hassle and I don't get accomplished what I want, that it wasn't a good business decision. Yeah. So if you can take care of what I need and you're most convenient for me, you know, um, if I look at that in the front end, it's being able to talk to those customers when they have an issue, when they need something, that you're responsive to them. You know, again, if I go back to these internet leads, they sit for days. Mm -hmm. Well, here's what we think. We think because we sent you an email or we sent you a text, right, that we've accomplished the goal of communication. Okay. That's not true. Communication is a live conversation still today. No, we, we checked the box is what we did. I yeah, what we did. We stopped the clock. You know, that's not even important to the OEM. Did it? They don't even care if we stopped the clock because they realized it doesn't really matter. It's not, there's no context to it. Yeah. There's no context. You know, a conversation is still valuable. Even if it's a text, it's still a conversation. We don't, we don't communicate via email. No. We really so, don't. We do text, text and we do text. a lot of call, right? Yeah. So uh, an email is a great reminder. And it's, you know, but I think at the end of the day, like you said, it's fixed or variable. Um, the first thing we need to be is we need to be quick to respond. If you call a service department and can't get through 25% of the time, that's not convenient. No. If I send a lead and you guys get back to me and talk to me two hours later, you might as well call me two weeks later because it really isn't convenient for me. Mm -hmm. Right. And then what we don't realize is we're not the only one in the game. So everybody's vying for our business. Um, just do me a favor and go to autotrader.com, put in your zip code, go shop for your favorite car. What you're going to find is they're going to kill you with emails and texts for the first 20, 30 minutes. So much so you can't cut through the clutter. Yeah. So they just made this decision even more complicated for you. Yeah. The first one that picks up a phone and calls you, if they do it right, they're going to win your business because you don't want to do any more homework. So what dealers are causing us to do today is our own homework. I just want to communicate 
help me make a decision. I want to do it in the quickest amount of possible time that I can get it done and make an intelligent decision. You know, and if you keep stretching this out and you keep bombarding me with emails and texts that I'm non-responsive to, all you've done is you've just cluttered up my day and I'm not going to make a decision with you. I'm just going to tell you that. So you bring so, up a good point there about, you know, the importance of communication. And so, and the importance of communication or building that, the trust there and service and retention with the customers. So I, I, if you want, go, go into a little more depth on that, because how you communicate and what you're saying and build, rebuilding that trust and with your consumers. So uh, if you could talk a bit more on that. Well, I think, first of all, we don't have a really good plan. So let's go to the, can we use the leads for as an example? Yeah. So when I get a lead into a store, the average conversion rate from a lead to an appointment in the stores are 13 to 20%. Um, the reason for that is they're not prepared. They really aren't prepared what to do with that customer. Um, if that lead doesn't get answered within a minute, it flips over to my team in Dallas, which that's all they do all day long is communicate with customers. Um, that average goes to 76%. We'll set an appointment with those same customers that they just missed, just so you know. So what's the difference between those two? One is being ready. Yep. That's the only thing we do. It's the only thing they should be on their plate to do. Mm-hmm. We're waiting for those leads. They're not. They're multitasking, um, which means that even if they get to them in time, they're really not focused on what to do with that customer. Yeah. And I got to tell you, remember the day, it's not about selling the car. It's about starting a process to yep. get the car you want or something that will work for you. So I think that if we're only going to sell cars by that process, we don't need to talk to all those customers that want to buy cars because we don't have enough cars to sell them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we got to start somewhere and it's, it, it's to build a relationship to start the process so we can get there. So if I just look at two things, the average dealer talks to 12% of their leads today. They should be at 50 Mm-hmm. It's a timing thing because they're not ready for the leads. They wait for them to hit CRM. They go look at the lead. They want to figure out what car don't they have to sell them. They're pre-qualifying. Then they're calling the customer back. They've already missed that window. They're at 12%. They're just letting a automated response do everything and not humanizing the experience, which drives me bonkers. If, if yeah, I could catch you on AutoTrader when you submitted the lead and you're still on AutoTrader, I can catch you within 20 seconds of you hitting that submit button to a minute. I've got you. I'm going to, you're more likely 238% of the time to buy from me than the next person you talk to. Yeah. So just look at the numbers. I go back to what I love about data is data is factual. Mm-hmm. Now the question is, what are you missing to hit those data points? So I'll give you the data points then the dealers can start to think about what can they do to hit those data points? So the first data point is, I need to talk to you within a minute. How do I do that? Within a minute of hitting a lead submission, it hits your CRM tool. Within one minute, how do I make an outbound call to connect? I'll talk to five times more people. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to talk to five times more people? Okay. The second one is, if I'm the first one to do that, which I should be at that rate, I'm 238% more likely to do business with you than somebody else. Do I want to do business with 238%? of the time with my customers more than anybody else. And then the last one is, if I can't do that, who's going to do this to back me up? Because not doing it means that I'm going to lose that traction. What's my safety net look like in my processes for that? And then what's my communication skill look like when I do connect? 
I only have one shot. How good are we in that one shot? What are we saying? Is it predictable to get that result of 60 to 80% conversion rate? If you're below 60%, it isn't about your inventory. Because we have that in all of our stores. Nobody has inventory in any of the stores we work with. It's a common problem. But we're still averaging 76% of those customers saying, yes, we'll come to start the process. Why are we so different? Because we're saying something different. So what is it? Are you there? And if you're not there, that's communication. That is what you're saying. So none of the things I gave you today are impossible to fix. No. results are a game changer, I believe, in the business because we quit calling dealerships. If I get 1,000 leads today, uh, 750 of them are internet leads, web leads, 250 are lost sales calls. Those used to be 10 years ago, Brooke, all sales calls. Yeah. So can you imagine just picking, let's just pick 25% of the calls we want to answer today and let the other 75% just ring? Yeah. <laughs> That's my analogy. Yeah. They're, yeah. It, 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 it always, so it never ceases to amaze me that we're just not, whether the phone is ringing, we're not picking it up or it goes to voicemail and we don't check the voicemail or the internet leads and we're just like, yeah, we're in the market. I'm like, but you understand. That is someone on your showroom floor that's like, hey, um, I'd like to buy a car. We're like, you know what? You just go out and fill out this form and we're going to get back to you. Maybe, maybe we won't. We won't. So I want to just go. Just let me add one more thing. Yeah. John Traver taught me something really valuable. He's like, Bob, you know, you're communicating when you don't communicate. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It speaks louder. (laughs) I'm I'm like, so what you're saying is by not doing those things is you don't really want to do business with me. It speaks those that speaks a lot of more times than not than what you're actually are saying. So are there any industry-wide initiatives that you believe could help improve customer trust and retention? Well, I think, you know, the old ad is still the same. Sales sells the first one and service sells the rest, right? So you really got to be focused on this customer journey. You know, what does this journey look like? It's always been a lot easier for me to take a customer that I've already sold And if I treat them right through service, get referrals, get repeat business, keep that customer in the buying cycle. It's no secret that whatever the OEM brand retention is, let's assume it's 50%. It's a little higher than that normally. Uh, Let's say it's 60%. The average store is half of that. So I'm willing to buy another Ford, but not from the same Ford dealer I bought from the last time. I think that speaks volumes. That hasn't changed, by the way, in the last two or three decades. So I think what it says is that I still buy the brand twice as much as from the same store. And it, today, I'm not really not buying from the same brand over and over. So, you know, you really got to look at this and go like, why can't I not get Brooke through this sales to service transition back to sales multiple times? Because she wants it easy. You know, that's what you want. Um, today, I would say that if... Um, I think the biggest key today that dealers are going to struggle with because of the complexity is pickup and delivery. Because I know this, if I said to you, Brooke, well, do you need, when's your next service due? I'm just curious. Do you know? Mine mine was, well, it depends what the, the dealership's telling me versus what my warranty tells me. So my warranty, I shouldn't service it for another 3,000 miles. The dealership's telling me it was due 1,000 miles ago. So it depends on who you're asking. <laughs> okay. But the only, what's stopping you from bringing it in today? Uh, I, honestly, because I feel like a, this, I say feel, but I want to be very clear that I, 
I know enough about cars that the car sh- should be serviced for another 3,000 miles. And it makes me very angry that they're telling me it's got to be brought in 3,000 miles before it's actually due. So remember, the first thing I said was clarity, and the second one was communication, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you and them are not on the same page with clarity. Yeah. And so, it's been, yeah. so it stops you from even communicating at the next level, right? Yes. Yeah. So well, I will most likely take another dealership because it's like, this is insane. Like, yeah, just, and they charge me for you. If they tell you the same thing, you're still going to be reluctant, but you probably won't go back to the first one anyways. Right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it's all about clarity first, communication second, right? Then if I can communicate with you, and let's say that you say, you know what? Maybe I do need to have that done today. What would stop you from bringing it in today? The next thing is, uh, this is a whole other story, is the first time I went in there, they put the wrong VIN in, and I had to teach the the entire staff that when you take something, that you have to write down the whole VIN. And I go, just like, here, I ask you, what's your process here? And I was, you know, just helping the entire team out. They go, oh, we are told us to write the last four down. I go, so just so you realize how these cards work, you have to put the whole VIN, you can't just put four of them. So now there's two VINs in their system, and I can't, I can't schedule online. I have to call. And we all know when you call to try to schedule service, it's not an easy task. So I, it, it's so much effort to do this. And then I have to go through the whole thing of like, so which fin is it? Is it this car? Is it this car? Which vehicle is it? So it's very time consuming to schedule an appointment because the initial onset of how they screwed up the entire thing and they still haven't taken it out of their two two. Uh, your make models that are super ident- almost identical, except two or three bin, uh, numbers of the VIN are screwed up. So it goes back to the word clarity, right? Mm-hmm. You can't communicate even with them to set an appointment no. because there's no clarity. No. So if you get past those two pieces, then what? Uh, would, I, would I schedule with them? Is that what you're asking? Well, what's your next step? You know, what's stopping you from getting the car in there for service? If you could accomplish those two things. Uh, this one, the oil change they're claiming would be complimentary which all of them are supposed to be complimentary. But the next one after that, they're going to charge me. So it's, it's just like overall the experience, I honestly, I can't, what bottom line is I can't trust them. That is the okay. main bullet point. So Brooke, if I came along as a secondary dealer and I said, Brooke, it sounds to me like you're struggling. Why don't I just do this? Let me, let me kind of restart from zero. Let's get you fixed up properly in the system. And then when you schedule that online appointment, because that's your preference, um, why don't I just come pick up the car while you're doing your podcast today? I'll get it serviced. I'll get it back to you. Would that work for you? That would be amazing. And you would have me as a customer for life. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And if I called you back after that, I said, hey, Brooke, how was your experience? Five stars, two thumbs up. Would it okay if we actually do a subscription for that service moving forward? And the only thing I need to get that subscription started is your next service appointment. Can we go ahead and get that set? That's nice. Yeah, for sure. Done. So servicing you once versus serving you multiple times, right? Now, in between there, you're doing podcasts all day. The one thing you don't have that you'd really like to have is probably my concierge reach out to you a couple of times and tell you where we're at. Yeah. Right? So I just fixed those problems and I did it in a very short conversation. Mm -hmm. Now, the complexity behind that is a lot deeper, but all that can be done today, just so you know. So if I'm a consumer, you would own me because my work, I have dealers today to go like, we don't even want to build a new showroom with a waiting room because we don't want anybody coming here to wait. That, that's, that's craziness. That's so old school. And by the time I drive past three quick blue places to get to you, I still have to drive 35 minutes. You're not the closest one to me ever. I'm just going to tell you. 
You will never be the closest one to me. And then I've got to wait an hour. At best. Drive back 35 minutes. You see where I'm going? I'm yeah. like, I wasted two hours of my day to get my car serviced, right? I'm telling you the future of this business is I either have to come out and do it in your parking lot or your house where I got to come get the car, bring it in and get it back. Yeah. And if I can do that and communicate with you consistently through there, there's clarity, there's communication, and I'll always get you to commit to me to do that. 100%. Now, I couldn't agree more on it. It's- you buy your next car from me? Well, you know, I'm always going to be in a position when I do pick up a delivery to have all the photos of your car. If my used car manager is on top of his game, he really wants to buy that vehicle. It can make you an offer. You may or may not want to, but think about this. It'd be like every time you had people come drive by your house, make you an offer on your house. You may never want to sell it, but you may one day go like, that's a heck of an offer. I think I'm going to take you up on that. But they're not giving you any options. And I'm not being pushy by doing that. What I'm doing is making you aware of what your car's worth in the market. It's true. It's true. I, I could not agree more. Well, Bob, it has been, thank you so much for all of the knowledge you're dro- dropping. But at this point, we are at the point of the show where we are jumping into the lightning round with you, Bob. So first and foremost, for those who are watching, we've got your personalized link down here. So they, if you're watching, you can, you can just look at it and go follow him. For those who are listening, how can they connect with you? How can they follow you? All of that good stuff. Well, the first thing you can do is, you know, you can hit my LinkedIn account. I always give everybody in my life since the beginning of time my cell phone number. You can reach out, touch me on my cell phone. It's the only phone number I give out to anybody. So, you know, why? Because if you want to connect, I want to connect with you. So I'll make it as simple as that. If if you just want to linger and see what's going on, go to my LinkedIn page. Um, And I think the second thing is if you have really good questions, call me and I'll point you in the right direction. Fantastic. All right. So... The name of the show is Facts Not Feelings. So whether it's in your personal life or it's in your professional life, how are you distinguishing facts from feelings? Well, remember, everything to me starts with facts because that gives you good information. Without information, you can't make a decision. But I think emotionally, feelings is going to make you make a decision where you want to do that at. But you're going to want to use the facts first. So you're prepared when you get into a situation that you can make a final decision. But I think that decision still is going to be who I want to do business with. It's going to be feelings. Love it. Love it. All right. So you have a one-way ticket or it could be a round trip, but where, more or less, where is your favorite vacation spot? Um, my vacation spot's my backyard. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Haven't had that one. I like it. You know, I spent 35 years getting on a plane Monday through Friday doing consulting work for... Um, 75,000 miles on United a year for about 25 years. So my favorite destination today is the back porch, flip-flop shorts, pair of t-shirts, and let's do some barbecue. I I, I hear you on that one. I was talking to someone the other day and uh, just saying that, yeah, it's like, it's great at the beginning when you're young and you're doing those, like you said, uh, same thing. It was like 75 to 100,000 miles plus a year for a long time. I'm like, it's for vacation. I don't mind it now for trips. You're like, "Eh." Okay, we're good. We're good. So I understand that. All right, let's let's go with what is your favorite car? Uh, my favorite car is an F three fifty Dually King Ranch truck. Nice. Do you have a Do you have a favorite color in that truck? Uh, I usually yes, but it's a debate in my household. So. 
<laughs> my wife drives an F-250 diesel truck because we have horses, we have cattle, we, we live on a ranch, right? We enjoy being outside all the time. So if um, hers is bright red and mine's white or black. Okay, okay. You just see like a, a blue now. You got the whole American flag, so you're good to go. And like, <laughs> you're good to go. <laughs> all right, let's round it out with, all right, what is, uh, what's a show that you're watching right now or maybe a movie that you're looking at wanting to go see or maybe you just saw? Uh, that's really interesting. Um, I just saw um, Indiana Jones. Okay. Because I'm a Harrison Ford uh, follower. Uh, it's predictable, yet it's unpredictable in the movie. But you already know there are three themes that are going to happen in every <laughs> one of his movies. <laughs> yep. So I like to be entertained and I don't want to work too hard. So I, I like the entertainment aspect of seeing a good movie. Awesome. Well, we just saw that uh, Was it a couple weeks ago we saw it. So yeah, it was it's like you, you got to see it. It's, it's Indiana Jones. Like you're, you're like, hey, you just going with the expectation that's going to be Indiana Jones and you go with it. So I, I understand that 100%. Well, Bob, thank you so much for being on the show. I so appreciate it. Everyone, if you haven't already connected with Bob and Traver, please do. Like they're, they're awesome what they do. And Bob, thank you so much for all the knowledge you've dropped today. And as always, everyone, find a way to serve a day, whether that is opening a door for a friend or a colleague or just doing, giving a smile to someone to brighten the day, but find a way to be the joy in someone's life today. And with that, everyone, we'll see everybody next week. You've been listening to Facts Not Feelings with Brooke Furness. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Leave us a rating. If you know a friend or a colleague will benefit from today's episode, share it with them. Until next week, find a way to serve someone. Find a way to help your neighbor. Remember, we are all in this together. <laughs>